Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber, back to the show. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Marcel, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital DVD and Tubi. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently working on others. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's creative distribution initiative. This week, we welcome writer and director Carter Smith on the show to talk about how he made his latest film, Swallowed, how he got Jenna Malone to star in the film and his pitch to Spielberg, which secured his role as the director of his first feature film called The Ruins, which I can't get enough of the story. That was incredible. I love it. It's my favorite part of any episode we've recorded in recent history. <laughs> After that, we play another round of The Game, and we try out a brand new segment created by, once again, our wonderful producer, Eric Times, called You're the Professional. And we might even read a new iTunes review. But first, Liz, how are you doing? I'm okay. Pregnancy sucks. Like, it just truly sucks. Like, and I remember not being pregnant a few months ago and, and hearing about my friends who were pregnant and getting like wistful for pregnancy and nostalgic and thinking, wow, it's so beautiful. You're creating a life. There's so much happening in your body. How lucky those people are. And now I am pregnant and I am suffering and resentful and cranky and just a big whale, just a giant whale trudging through life. So I'm o- I'm okay, <laughs> yeah. but I'm just like very, very, I just feel very pregnant right now. I don't know how Beth is feeling, but that is how I feel. Yeah, I feel like she was feeling very pregnant like a couple weeks ago, and then I feel like she's got a lot of energy now, and she's like bounced back. But she is like two or three weeks ahead of you. So yeah, maybe that's why. Maybe you're like yeah. in this like right before you pop out of it sort of thing. I don't know. That but she great. still There's sleeps hope. all the time, sleeping yes. forever. Yeah, as much as humanly possible, which is great. I'm, I'm really excited that she has the time to, to get some extra sleep here and there. Because I feel like the toll a pregnancy takes on a body is um, is crazy. Stupid. It's just stupid. And, They're just parasites I, that just sap the life out of you. It's horrible. I think we as men can never really know what it's truly like, but just like watching it happen the second time now too, I'm just like, wow, this is a big deal. Like, I don't think people make a big deal enough about how crazy pregnancy is. It's crazy. It's insane. Well, they make a big deal about the baby. Like, I remember popping out the baby with Colin <laughs> and they like just gave me a lot of advice on the baby, but they didn't give me any advice on how to take care of myself. And I remember like I had like a massive bladder infection like two weeks oh, after man. birth and didn't even know I was like near septic like you just like you're just like you're not thinking about yourself and I think a lot of pregnancy is focused on the baby which it should be but it also should be focused on the carrier yeah well oh yeah I sleep all the time that I can except for the hours of 3 a.m to 5 a.m and that's when I just wake up you know full of anxiety thinking about the future 
and then yeah. I go back to sleep. So I don't know if that's if she has a witching hour too, but it's weird. It's like my Twitter time. It's, yeah. it's not a good time to visit Twitter. <laughs> as as of now, she does not have that, but uh, <gasps> maybe she will later. We'll see. Yeah. How are you? Oh, well, we hate you didn't talk anything about any movie stuff. Is there any movie stuff to talk about or is it all just nothing interesting going on right now? Well, I'm still steamrolling ahead. I'm going to make the opening sequence of my horror feature before we have this baby. So I'm still having weekly meetings with my producers. We've budgeted. We're we are on like draft three of the budget right now. I'm working on fundraising. There's a lot that's happening. I'm starting to cast. And then for the sci-fi movie that I'm attached to, that's kind of like the larger project, we're probably pushing to the fall to after the baby. So it's just kind of interesting how all the, you know, how biology is impacting the timeline of these films. One, for me, I'm like, let's rush, let's get it out there because if I don't make a little bit of it now, I'm never going to make it. Like, that's the real fear. And with the larger project, it's like, that's never, that would never be an option, right? You would never do a larger project in parts. So we have to kind of just get all our ducks in a row. And I think we're looking at like just a couple months postpartum, which... Is a little like I, I I welcome the challenge. I genuinely welcome the challenge, and and who really knows what's going to happen? So I'm just Wait. operating as if that's going to happen. So, so you're going to shoot the first half or the first the opening sequence before you give birth, and then you're going to shoot the rest of the movie. Two no, it's different movies. So oh, the opening the sequence, oh. yeah, opening sequence okay. of the horror film, and then. A couple months after I give birth, the plan is to make the sci-fi film. But genuinely, like, you know, until the money's in the bank, you don't really know what's going to happen. Right. You don't even have cast or anything. I don't know what you said about your cast situation on the show, but, you know. We do have cast. I mean, we have cast for the sci-fi film. We have partial cast. And then for the horror film, I'm casting right now. So Right. But you don't have yeah. the, the big casting that was all exciting is not... A thing, right? Well, there's a lot I'm not going to talk about on the show, so I can just say that we have partial cast for the sci-fi film right now, and we're working. I love I I love how you're giving your answer, and I keep on pushing for something that you obviously (laughs) don't want to say. Sorry, Liz. It's okay. Yeah. Anyways, but 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 I I guess my opinion is the one that you're not doing yourself. Two, they say two months after postpartum. Who knows, right? Like that could be right. Six months, four months. It could, it could be, be February. It could be ten years. It could be nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not like this. Like that's why I love what you're doing with your movie because it's like you're actually making it and you're in control of it. You know. And so like yeah. you're actually going to shoot part of it before you 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 give birth. And then like, do you have a plan for the other part, or is it just kind of like wait and see? Like once you know your kid is born and all that. The plan is to edit and really finesse opening sequence as if it is like a sample like as if it's a you know if it's like I'm trying to think of the word if it's it's not a sizzle reel it really is going to be the first 15 minutes of the movie but it's going to be our way to continue to fundraise and be like we did this don't you want to see what happens next right because it ends a little bit on a cliffhanger so there's a plan in that our goal is to shoot it most likely in January 2024 the rest of the film but Mm. that's tentative it's not real. And I'd, I'd be curious how you're kind of looking at the summer, too, because 
you know, we're hearing rumblings, not rumblings, like yells, screams of like the impending strike. And then it's like, I'm also hearing DGA and SAG are doing something too. And so it's like, how is that impacting our timelines for all the projects that we're going to be doing? And is it? Is it something we're even thinking about, right? So the goal is to shoot like four to five days in May or June. But February to May, a lot might happen in terms of how the industry organizes itself. But that would that affect you, though? Like if you're working on an independent movie or, or does it... If there's a I SAG mean, strike. A, yeah, that's true. SAG would screw you. But like DGA or WGA, that doesn't matter. That doesn't affect no. you. No. I mean, yeah. I want to work in solidarity with them, of course. But yeah, it's it's complicated. Like you want to keep on telling stories as an independent filmmaker, someone who's not repped, as someone who's not part of these unions. You're like, you know, you want to keep making movies, but you also want to support those who are working for the compensation they deserve. So it's like, we have to then calculate our timelines based off of theirs, right? So I'm I'm waiting for more information. Would the WGA or a WGA writer care if we made an independent movie during that time? Does that does that bother them? Because we're not I even don't in the think system. So <laughs> right, that's like, that's my presumption. Is like count. you don't care about me. Like if you don't yeah. care about me, then like I'm gonna keep making my like weird marginal content. It really is the SAG situation, right? It's like if there is some sort of SAG strike, then. I, I, yeah. I mean, we might work non-union, but I, I doubt it. I doubt that we would. No, so. probably not. Yeah. 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 That that would be. You know, having done one movie non-union with non-union actors, it's like I don't know if I want to do that again, unless unless it was a sp- special project. I feel like you know, having some sort of name in your movie to sell it is so important. Yeah. Although we all we see it happen all the time where it doesn't, you know, but then. It's all the film festivals. Okay, so I'll just get to the point. Like, I'm pretty depressed because I got my numbers for the alternate today. They had to send them on Valentine's Day of all days. Some of the <gasps> bitches. Really annoying. They weren't good. I'm just like a little broody and moody wanna- and upset and feel feel like I failed my movie, you know, Are feeling they all the failure. Not- <laughs> well, okay, but define, you don't have to give the numbers, but when you say not good, are you like, this is Liz's perspective of life, or you're just impen- you know, imposing doom on it, or well, like, you I mean, really I feel like objectively? What, I feel like the amount of money that I have, you know, for the TVOD is like embarrassingly low, and lower than I, I maybe my expectations were embarrassingly high, I don't know, but um you know, it just basically feels like, you know, just feels like I, I let my movie down in some way. Like I, I picked the wrong distributor or I didn't get into the best film, the right film festivals or, you know, I didn't like run enough ad of my own ad campaigns or something. Like I did something wrong because this is not good. It's bad. It's very okay, well, bad. Not, <laughs> not knowing what your numbers are, I just want to say that I think the average TVOD, like gross TVOD that people make over like a long period of time is a lot lower than you may think it is. Just mm-hmm. so you have it in your head. Like it's like six to $10,000 is like average. Over the, the length of the whole movie? No, over like 
you know, probably a year or two of its release. Like I'm making a lot of presumptions, but I just want to say like you may be thinking that people are out there with like 20, 30, 40,000 dollars in Tiva. They are not. They are not. Like the average indie filmmaker is really just making a couple thousand dollars in Tiva. And that's gross, right? Gross is gross of six to 10. And I'm, oh, I don't so have not, access so to all not, the numbers. So you're not talking about like what the filmmaker sees. You're just saying gross. Right. So you're thinking oh. of net. So you're probably like, maybe that's reframing your success right now. Is it helping? Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. See? Okay. Yeah. You were getting there. It's, it's still like, I mean, because that was the, I don't know what normal is, but what I see is only the profits. Like, I'm not seeing a breakdown of the Not the profits, the but you see, you're see you seeing the net revenue coming to you. Yeah, like, what, like it's not profit, like what, necessarily. No, no, no. It's like, it's yeah, like, what we're getting back from from iTunes yeah. or from Amazon or from, you know, Xbox or whatever, you know? And so, I just see those numbers. And so, I feel like if, I, if they gave me a breakdown of, like, what people pe- spent on the movie and, like, what actually was, like, given by... All the people who watched it versus what I'm seeing, I probably would feel a little bit better because it'd be like, oh, well, you know, we had X amount of sales, you know, but when you just see the the little tiny little piddly number that I that I get to share with my distributor, it feels bad, you know, you can do the math, though, just so like just I mean, you probably already did this and I don't know much data you have. I did not okay, do this. So Whatever you're going to say, I didn't do it yet. I just got it this <laughs> so morning and say, I've been, been depressed all morning. <laughs> well, this may also help you. Okay, so not every platform takes this, but the average platform takes about 30% and gives the other 70 to the distributor. And then of that 70%, the distributor takes their percentage, right? right and then you get right. your percentage. So you can kind of do some reverse and, you know, the, some, some mathematics to figure out what the gross number is from that. If they're if they don't provide the gross number, you can figure it out on average, like a rough number. And then I would say they usually provide the data on your live date, like how many sales versus how many rentals, mm. because most of the sales are going to be in your pre-sale period, right before your film goes live, and then people will rent it. So I'm just saying, like you could kind of do that, and then you could figure out how many people paid nine ninety nine, and then how many people paid three ninety nine. And you could figure out the number of people who watched and rented your movie. I think it's possible. Yeah. You just have to reverse. You have to do some backwards math to figure it out. But I I, I think that whatever you don't have to share your number, but whatever your number is, I think is probably better than most indie filmmakers. And it is probably depressing you, but it's still probably not that bad. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like being completely transparent is like the goal of this podcast, you know, I mean, is from your, you know, your perspective as a person who works in distribution, is there like, is it going to hurt me if I share my numbers with everybody? Should I be like not sharing my numbers or is it more I would like- ask your investors how they feel. And as long as your investors are okay with you talking about it, I would share your numbers. Uh, I don't want to ask them. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they don't know anything. I mean, I love my investors. They're great. But they're like, they're you know, if I email them, there's one person's going to have an opinion. And then the rest are going are to be like, whatever you think. Well, and so, it doesn't reflect poorly on you. You'll just ref, you'll just be an indie filmmaker who's sharing information with the world. It's all about, though, like you're in business with other, with other people, right? You're not fine. just business with yourself. Yeah. Okay. Well, here, maybe Jeff will blank these out. So at least I can get your reaction. <laughs> then maybe you can make me feel better. 
Okay. I'm hearing this. So the total revenue that I split with my or share with my distributor was. Okay. And then I got from that. Okay. That's so not bad at all. Quarter one. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't include, that doesn't, inclu- doesn't include AVOD. We haven't had AVOD. Okay. And yet. you came out September, September. Yeah. October, November. So just three months, right? Because it's just September, yeah. October, November. And then they have to gather the data. So it doesn't include December, January, February, the past uh, three looks months. Like it, it looks like it includes December. Okay. But not January. Yeah. I would say this very on par for an indie filmmaker. This is not low at all. And then I'm sure that you're also looking at the marketing spend and the things that gets taken out and stuff like that of your arrangement with your distributor. And that might also feel a little overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, I I owe them still. Yeah. So it's like, you know, bleep that out to (laughs) you. So <laughs> I don't know why I'm into the bleeping all of a sudden. We could also decide just to include all these numbers, whatever. But yeah. It's very normal. Know. So I shouldn't feel like I let my movie down, Liz. I shouldn't feel like embarrassed. No. Or no, I'll like- see if I can find one of my revenue reports and send to you so that you can see what mine look like. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. I just woke up this morning. That's the first thing I saw, you know, when I woke up at like seven this morning was this thing and... Read the numbers, of course, without even getting out of bed and just being like, oh, no, why yeah, is it so it's low? Really, really stressful. But think about it. No one rents and purchases things on iTunes. They really don't. And like people really, they either they watch AVOD, they watch SVOD. I don't know the last time I rented anything on Apple TV or iTunes. Oh, it was a holiday movie from two years ago is the last time I did it. And I pre-ordered yours, of course. But other than that... I really don't. People don't do it. Yeah, a- Apple is like the where the majority of our sales came from. You know, I know. Then, well, it's like the most popular, but Voodoo it's also is second. Yeah. No one uses Voodoo, Voodoo to rent and then yeah. oh, some from YouTube too. I guess we're on YouTube yeah. for rent. Yeah, YouTube was like pretty high. That's crazy. You're not on Amazon, are you? I am on Amazon. Okay, so it's not one of the top. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's pretty down there. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, especially because they're only, they only showing me one payment from Amazon just for December. So that's probably like inclusive of of the whole, of all, you know, since it's been on Amazon. So that must be like, yeah, that's pretty low. Pretty low number from Amazon. But I heard that, that they only give you half too, apparently. So, yeah. Yeah. It's very tiny. Anyways. Very little money from Amazon. Well, I don't know. I have high hopes for Avod. Um, I do need to like do more. I do need to like do at least one other kind of social media post for the movie or something. But yeah, I just am allergic to social media right now. I just can't. I don't know what. I can't do it. Yeah, so then don't. don't. So then don't do another post. (laughs) So don't. So don't worry about it. Well, I mean, like, let's be real harsh. Like, is that one post going to get you $10,000? No. No. It it might make you feel better. It might make you feel like you made a little bit more of an effort. But you've already made a massive effort to this point. I mean, it's just... This is the game for indie filmmakers is we're just struggling to yeah. get attention and a saturated content um, and sorry, in, a, in an oversaturated marketplace. 
but but I still think your film was a success, even though the numbers that's just how bad things are. Like or like yeah. you were looking at a success. You're especially relative to other indie filmmakers. You really are looking at a success. That's what's so crazy about the whole thing. I have people tell me they like the movie all the time. So it's like that feels good. Yeah. <laughs> that people will see it yeah. and like it and watch it and you know, whatever. So that's nice. And like, I have a, multiple people who've reached out to me because they saw the movie and they're like, Oh, read my thing or whatever. So it's like, that yeah. feels good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I think, I think what it really is, is like, I knew it was going to be bad. Right. Like I, but I think like in your mind, like it's like, this is like the last chance for you still to be delusional where you're like, Oh, yeah. like maybe it will be a big number. Like maybe I will get a nice portion back towards, you know, the money I owe my, my distributor, my, my investors, you know, and like, Oh, maybe I w- it will be better than I think it's going to be. And then when you see the first quarter statement, you're like, Oh God, like, nope, not better than you thought. It's exactly where you thought it was. So that's well, the way so it is. This is exactly why I'm self distributing the horror film, right? It's right. like, these platforms take too much. These distributors take too much. If you work with a sales agent, like I, I'm a sales rep, like I'm pro sales reps if you need them, if you want to work with them, but I don't take commission, right? And a lot of them do take commission. So just everything gets cut out. And then, I mean, like it's crazy, but like if you get enough people to a movie theater that you rented yourself, you might make more money than you do on transactional. Wow. Like, crazy. isn't that nuts? That's what's so nuts about this whole thing thing yeah or like you play enough film festivals and you ask for enough screening fees you might make more than you would make on apple tv or itunes or whatever it is like there there is a world where there is revenue it's just really exhausting to eke it out in this system yeah well i think like the other thought i was having was like geez like you should have just done a better job because like a lot of this distribution problem like it could have been helped if I had gotten into better film festivals, you know, or like had a better mm-hmm. premiere, um, especially at a bigger genre film festival. But, you know, I like, I think I just made too many mistakes, like, you know, sending out the movie when it wasn't done. I should have waited until it was finished, until it was 100% finished and then sent it out. I shouldn't have been so eager and crazy to get it out into the world. I think like, who knows what would have happened to it if I had done that, but maybe it would have ended up the same. You, you, you don't really know, you know, so. You don't know. And like, we've heard stories to your, you know, to prove your point and prove my point, which is like, you know, we're not, this is my constant argument. We're not part of the anointed community of filmmakers who are going to get that kind of like leg up in the festival and distribution world. So it's like until yeah. you kind of level up into that world, I would assume you probably play the same amount, the same film festivals, which were really good, Ulrich, and you'd win the yeah. same awards, which were really good, whether or not you submitted, had a different submission yeah. strategy this time. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. That's well, just my negative world, my worldview, like uh, <laughs> imposing <laughs> right. economics on, on film. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like in the end, it is what it is. I'm, I'm proud of the movie. I'm, I'm really happy with the success that we've had. It's just, you know, I would like to pay my investors back and maybe I will one day. Maybe it's just not, today's not the day, you know? Yeah. So one day. <laughs> <laughs> 
The thing that you can do any day of the week, not just one day, is to go support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash podcast. That's where you can get access to the whole back catalog of the, the podcast. There's, geez, like 350 plus episodes back there that um, are not on iTunes. Some of them are still there, but they're all going away. I've, I'm almost done putting them behind the paywall. But yeah, that's like the only way you can listen to like the early days of Timothy Plain, who used to be the the co-host of the show so yeah make sure to do that also a big big happy birthday to steven carlson for supporting us on patreon thank you so much steven steven has a whole little thing to say here i'm gonna read it it's very sweet he says ah shucks now i feel bad about my tiny contribution stop your contribution was great Although I have to say that I considered a larger monthly amount, but the gifts didn't appeal to me. Hmm. Ooh, we need better, we better gifts. Guess. We gotta get a hoodie. I swear, people are gonna be down with a make, making movies hard a hoodie. I do appreciate your podcast and the brutal conversations about this hard art form. We just had one. The more actual costs, time frames, real budgets, the better. May you make it the goal of being the Howard Stern of film podcasts? Question mark. Getting into the intimate details and make your audience squirm. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe our conversation just made our audience squirm. And um, you know, made me feel better. <laughs> oh, good. And as I'm he glad. says, as far as a shout out, that's tough. He says, age is just a number. At 62, Stephen Carlson moved from Norfolk, Virginia to Atlanta, Georgia to get more involved in independent film. Hmm. There we go. I like it. <laughs> he says, thanks for your Tommy topics and your own efforts to better the film, film family. Filmily. 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 That's so Filmily. cute. <laughs> and, I never man, heard Stephen, that. Me neither. Filmily. <laughs> Well, I like to think that we ha- that was, is what we do. We have a little filmily through the podcast, you know, everyone who listens and our guests. It's our little film family, filmily. Also, so, but thank you so much, Stephen, for the, the amazing, uh, little email and the, uh, really wonderful contribution. Much appreciated. Happy, happy birthday. Don't forget to check out jambox.io. They're a new royalty free music and sound effects company with an emphasis on high quality cinematic cues. Their composers, composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood level films, working with directors like Michael Bay and Martin Scorsese, and they even offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is pretty awesome. You can use our code MMIH to get a 20% discount on your yearly subscription today. But without any more blither blather, delay, or chit chat, here is our chat with Carter Smith. Carter, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you give us the elevator pitch for your film, Swallowed? Oh, it's been a while since <laughs> I had to do that, actually. <laughs> it's a queer horror story about two best friends and their final night together before one of them moves to LA to be a porn star. <gasps> and the awful things oh, that happen on that night. Wow. That sounds so good. How many days did you shoot? 15 days. And what was the rough budget, if you can say? Um, I mean, it was mid five figures to shoot. (laughs) Yeah. And then... I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) About the the same to finish. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a scrappy little shoot. (laughs) There are so many more questions, but I will ask this one. How did the idea come about? What was the origin of the idea? It's, you know, it started with just like me being so frustrated with trying to develop stuff and having nothing take off. And then finally, I was just like, I sat down. I was like, what do I have? I have a white Jeep. I have a cabin in the woods. 
I have like, you know, Jenna Malone's phone number. Like I have <laughs> like, you know, I've got like, these are the things that I have and I'm going to write a movie, you know, including only these things. And it kind of takes place in the same world as the my first short film, Bug Crush, which, you know, people had always asked about a feature version of, and I'd never really, you know, wanted to do it. But so I, I kind of liked the idea of, of, which was also shot in Maine, which was also shot with like a really crazy small crew. And so I was like, I wanted to kind of go back to that world a little bit. And then how long did you spend working on the film from like coming up with this idea to it being released? We shot in the summer of 2021. So I, I started in the winter, uh, and, you know, banged out a draft really fast and kind of rewrote and rewrote. And then we shot that June and then spent a bunch of time, you know, uh, uh, quite a while putting it together and sort of figuring out what the festival plan was going to be. So even though it was like the fastest film that I've, uh, that's not true actually, but even though it felt really fast, like from the, from the writing to the, the shooting, like it still has taken years. Mm. Yeah. This is a new one, but if you can change one thing about the film in any way, what what would it be or what comes to mind? I mean, I would have loved to have been able to pay people more, you know? I mean, people, a lot of people worked really hard and everyone did get paid. I mean, except for like me, but like, you know, I, it, it <laughs> and I, and I think that, you know, it would have been nice to be able to, you know, or to like, you know, we stayed in a place that were like, we didn't have flushing toilets. We had outhouses. So like, it would have been nice to, you know, you know, be able to put people up at somewhere without like porta potties and outhouses and, you know, just a little. <laughs> more comfort in the in the shooting but it was 15 days so it was over fast and like you know it was people were willing to put up with it yes i was so just really curious about a lot of things but maybe it's best to go back to like the making of uh of the ruins to maybe answer some of the questions so can you just talk about like how that movie came together and what that whole thing was about yeah uh, that was a hundred percent. Like I made a short film bug crush, which was like my first short, like I have a background in stills photography. And so I'd been shooting stills and fashion for years and years and then made a, sh a short film, which was bug crush, which I kind of assumed like, you know, 15 people would see and, you know, and it ended up getting into Sundance and then winning best short at Sundance. Wow. And that led to, you know, getting an agent and getting scripts and doing that whole thing. And then like the ruins was the first script that my agent had sent me that I fell in love with. And I was like, okay, there's no way that this is ever going to happen. This is a big, this is a DreamWorks. It's a big studio movie. Like I've never done a film before. But I love this script and like, why not see what it's like to pitch on one of these things and go into those rooms and prepare something. And, and it took about a year and I did like round after round after round of meeting with all, you know, starting at the, you know, at the sort of lower level and then working my way up and then working my way up to the next meeting and then the next meeting. And then, the, you know, the final meeting was with Spielberg and wow. that's, it was like a year <laughs> later and, you know, and then I got the job. Wow. Which Crazy. was never like, I always imagined that Swallow would be the type of movie that would be my first movie, like a, you know, weird little dark indie with like a crew of eight people. But like, instead of kind of gone backwards and just, you know, sort of done it completely differently so it's been kind of an interesting <laughs> oh my god there's so much okay so you win sundance for your short you get to make a movie essentially for steven spielberg yeah and i i get you saying going backwards in terms of budgets and resources just because you know swallowed has the mid five figure budget but in terms of the reception of the ruins and kind of how your career morphed and changed from that point, can you remember expectation and reality meeting at that point? I mean, my expectation, like, 
I, I kind of didn't know what to expect. And the ruins kind of bombed when it came out. Like it, like it didn't like only in the last couple of years, has it like found an audience where people are like, Oh yeah, I love the ruins. Like at the time, it was viewed as kind of a flop by like DreamWorks, by the everyone was like, well, we made our money mm. back, but it didn't open at number one. And like it kind of underperformed, I think, from their perspective. And so like there was this weird, like not radio silence, but it was like this weird, like, oh, okay, uh, I guess I'm gotta figure out what's next because like, you know, the scripts that are coming to me now are all really horrible horror scripts, and I don't want to do those. And, you know, so it was like this weird, like reality check, like, okay, just because I made this movie doesn't mean anything <laughs> really. And it was, you know, it was kind of, but I, I had another career. So I was like, okay, well, I don't have to take a, a movie to, you know, to pay my bills. I can go back and, and shoot stills and wait for the right thing to come along or, or write stuff or, you know, cause I was already like working on projects and writing things that were swallowed-esque, like weird, crazy, dark, you know, stuff that like nobody wanted to touch, you know? So I was just like, I'll just go back and write those little movies and keep reading. And hopefully another good script comes along and yeah. And like, it didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, so, and, and so I, I adapted a book next. I adapted this book called one for sorrow and made Jimmy Marks is dead from it, which was like, you know, it got into Sundance and, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, but, like, but, but like got into Sundance, but like, you know, that doesn't mean anything really. I mean, it does, but like, you know, it didn't sell well. People didn't see it. It never found an audience. Like, mm. you know what I mean? It was, it was like another kind of underwhelming experience, to be honest, or, you know, slightly disappointing just in that, like, it didn't connect with audiences in a way that I hoped it would. Right. But as an artist, wow. you're being validated by gatekeepers and curators and programmers, you know, like. I would rather have, have it connect with an audience, you know, have people see mm. it and like, rather than like get into Sundance. I mean, yes, that's great, obviously, but like, you know, it, if it ends up in a sale that, that doesn't get the movie in front of eyeballs, then it, it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, yes, of course, it's great to have that screening at Sundance and, you know, hopes and dreams. And then like, no offers and like radio silence and like heart broken, like, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's like this weird, you know, actually Jamie Marks is dead. It just for maybe like a year or eight months has been on shutter. And like, I've gotten more like joy out of like people saying that they saw it on shutter and reading reviews of it, you know, that, that people have left on shutter than like I ever got from having it play at Sundance. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to like badmouth Sundance and, you know, obviously it's been great to me, but like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like you're a two time Sundance filmmaker, you know, and like Sundance is kind of one of the reasons why you got your chance at your first movie. So it's like, you know, in a lot of ways. It's like, well, you know, like, I don't know about how Liz feels, but I'm probably never going to get into Sundance with anything, you know, in my life. And I'm fine with that. But like, I think, you know, just looking from our perspective, like ha having a Sundance movie under your belt is like, it's helpful. It's yeah, very helpful. I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely helpful. Swallow didn't get into Sundance. Yeah, but you got into other big films. Yeah. Well, we'll get to it. But you did really well so far. I will say yeah. that. Well, but here, I want to go back to, to a moment that, like, I just really want to, like, because I, I want to live in your shoes for a second. Like, what was that meeting with Spielberg like? Like, what, like, how did that go? Like, can you give us the play-by-play? -play? Like, like did, did he ask you a lot of questions? Like, were you pitching him? Like, what was that whole thing? It was, it was you know, it was in the conference room at, at you know, at, the, at DreamWorks. 
And it was a long table. He was at one end. I was at the other end. There was probably oh, like nine people on each side of the table. Oh, and oh, like man. this isn't, this includes like Ben Stiller was there because he was one of the producers and Stacey Snyder and oh. like, like everyone that I'd already met with. And the only two people that spoke for the entire hour were him and I, that we were the only two people that said anything. And he wow. started out by just talking for 20 minutes and telling me how much he loved Bug Crush. And, oh. and, just, and just being like a hundred percent curious about how it came about and how we made it and where it came from. And, and so like, I was immediately at ease because, you know, who doesn't lo- want to hear that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then I did, then I did my pitch, which I had already done, you know, to every single other person in the room before, you know? Wow. And, and then, he had, you know, sort of towards the end of the meeting, he said something that like, didn't. like it kind of didn't fit with my version of the film. And I was so kind of swept up in the moment that I was like, well, no, because actually, you know, it's not the Mayans that are the bad people. It's the, you know, they're trying to protect the, you know, and there was an audible gasp from (laughs) every person in the room because I had dared (laughs) to contradict him, which is not something, you know, (laughs) people do. You do. Right. But, you know, it was, it was a really, you know, it was a, it was a point that was like, definitely wasn't going to work with the version of the movie that I saw. So I just kind of, it just slipped out without me even thinking about it. And I think that, you know, it might've helped me get the job. I don't know. What what did he, what was his reaction to your contradiction? I, he, I mean, he understood it. It made sense, you know, cause he oh, said something good. about the vine being there like, you, you know, the vine does something and like, it kind of forms a, you know, and I was like, well, no, the, the, the Mayans are, you know, it, it was just like a story point that, that, you know, made wow. sense after I made my case. Amazing. That's so yeah. incredible. And ET was in the room. Like the ET was, was like on, at the side of the conference table. It was, it was a little crazy. Oh man. That's great. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to ask. I feel like there's like this, this, you like, I, I knew you Carter, but I don't think I knew all of these details. And now I'm really <laughs> flummoxed by this conversation. I guess there's something about the emotional journey that, that we haven't cracked into because I think you're very, like, you seem very sensible, very calm. You've you've had so much success, but you seem very like human about it, like like humble about it. I am a but human. You are a human. <laughs> I guess I'm curious about. I mean, I just really want to hear about Swallowed. How did you get to the point of? I mean, having meetings with Spielberg, having the Sundance situation, but like you're still not able to manifest the projects that you want to manifest. Like that's very confusing to me. I mean, it was confusing to me too. And it's been sort of consistent. And I think that part of it is because the stuff that I was writing and and the stuff that I was interested in doing was never 100% commercial. And it, and it often sort of straddled genres in a way that that people didn't know what to do with it. And the stuff that I was getting sent was was you know straight up genre stuff that that you know I mean some of them have gone on to be made and be like you know good movies, but like stuff that I just didn't see on the page. And I was like, I you know I don't want to spend a year and a half, two years of my life on something unless I'm a hundred percent you know, passionate about it. You're just saying no flat out to those opportunities. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not like I'm getting tons of offers. Like I'm getting scripts sent and, you know, at a certain point, like when you say no enough, you know, less, fewer scripts come, come in. And I kind of realized like, okay, if I'm going to like the stuff that I'm going to love the most is the stuff that I'm going to 
generate somehow on my own. Was there any understanding or ever be like an option to like, you know, if you got a script that you liked, but like it wasn't all the way there, like, could you give notes? Like, was it that kind of situation or was it more like, oh no, like either take it or leave it type of situation? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, there's always, I think that there's always like an opportunity to have a conversation, you know, with people. They want to, people want to have People want to hear what a director, you know, is going to bring. And I mean, maybe I'm, I don't know if I'm like picky. I'm like, I'm really not that picky, but like, I, it's, it's like an odd thing. And I think that always there was this, there wasn't pressure for me to take another film because of the stills, you know, and because I wasn't depending on it for like a paycheck, you know? So wait, just really quick. Are you like a stills photographer as your day job? Is that like what you do? I mean, I I have been since I was like 18, 17 years old and, and I've done it less and less in the last couple of years. Like once I, Mm. once I sort of realized, Oh, I'm, you know, fucking getting old and like, I need to make movies. Like I'm, I'm, you know, that's what I want to spend the rest of my working life doing. Not like, you know, taking pictures of, you know, celebrities for magazine covers, which has been good to me, but like, is 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 not the, quite the same as, you know, making a film. Right. When you're in the meetings back for Jamie Marks is dead, because we kind of skipped over that a tiny bit. Like, was it like the products brought to you? I'm sorry. Sorry, you adapted the script. So you when you pitched the script was financing easy? Like, no, were you it was able- so okay. hard. <laughs> It was, it was so hard. It was, it took us three years to get like even off the first financer to, to put money in, you know? And that was, and that was like, I mean, we were, I think we, it was like a little over a million dollars total, the budget on that one. So it wasn't a huge amount, but like, it was like pulling teeth to get money. And it part of it because it, it wasn't, you know, it's not a straight up horror movie. I think, you know, it's kind of like a melancholic go- teenage ghost story which doesn't really fit into any boxes, but you know. When you're at this stage, like working with agents and managers, like how does the fundraising come together? Like, is it through still through your own connections where you're finding actual investors or is it like people on your team that are bringing people in? Like, how does that whole part work? The script gets sent to like every like likely suspect <laughs> and all of them, for Swallowed at least, all of them were like, oh, we really like the script. But, you know, bring us the movie when it's done. We're not, we can't really come mm-hmm. in at this point, you know? So it was like this, <laughs> you know, so there was not, there was not one. Mm. But for, but for Jamie Marks is dead, it was the same process, but then yeah. people did, you know, yeah, people they, also they were said like, no. oh, here's, <laughs> oh, but, but then some people eventually said, yeah, yes. we, yeah, we pieced it, we pieced it together with like, you know, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars here, a little bit there, like, you know, very piecemeal on that one. Mm. Okay. We got to get into Swallowed because I think there's like 15 million questions about this. And the one that really comes comes to mind and I, I I don't I don't think we're the type of show that's like tell me what it's like to work with Jenna Malone we don't need to hear about that though I'm sure she's amazing but like how do you end up with her phone number in your phone like how do you end up ruins. with that resource well but like okay I got it what and we, and we like and we you know she was the lead of the ruins we had, like you know it, we stayed friends we we got close while we were shooting it it was you know 10 10 years ago we stayed friends and like we'd seen each other many times socially and talked like, oh, you know, we should do something. We should, you know, and it was just one of those things. And it was never the right thing. And then I, when I wrote this part, I was like, okay, like I'm going to write it with Jen in mind. And if she can't do it or whatever, then, you know, I'll find someone else, but I'll send it to her first. But you, so when you approach her, you're not necessarily at the point where you're like, it's a 15 day movie. It's mid five figures. You're still at the point of like dreaming of a larger project. Or is she like, I'm down, I'm down for those outhouses. I'm down for. 
I mean, I, she didn't know about the outhouses. I don't think. I mean, none of us knew about the outhouses. But like, it was it it was very much like you know you're gonna stay at my house. Like, I have a flushing toilet at my house. But like when we like when we first everyone first came to Maine to shoot, like we all stayed at my house and then drove up to location. It was a 15 day shoot, and it was going to be down and dirty, and that the crew would be 10 people or less, and that was all 100 percent out in the open. And she was she was okay. She was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I want to make this movie. Yeah. And and do you think it was a script that really spoke to her, or do you think it was like your guys' personal relationship that she trusted you as a director, and it was like that was kind of the reason? I why think she it was, was probably both. I mean, I think that like if the script had been awful, I don't think that she would have you know done it, even if no matter how much she liked me. But I think that you know it's it has to be a combination of both. Nice. <laughs> I like. Should so, I go, Liz, or do you have one? Yeah, you know, I just still for me. I got, I got, I got on like a stack for this. Yeah, guy I know, here. I have so a stack, but they're like not legible in my brain yet. It's just like oh, overwhelming question marks. <laughs> well, I'm just curious, like you know, where you're at now with your career, like once like Swallowed is released and comes out and everything. Like, is it now, like, are, are scripts still coming in? Like, do you still have opportunity to, like, like, could you go pursue a movie and, like, get hired to direct something, like, if you wanted to make any movie? Or are you kind of in this stage now where you have to kind of fight to, like, get, like, your next project made, whatever it is? I think that I probably have to fight for every project. Like, I, I things are not, like, you know, there's no, you know, magical doors opening. I mean, and I think that part of that is also because the projects that I like are, like I said, like they're not, oftentimes they're not like clear commercial stories. I mean, I, you know, I can get meetings, I can get, you know, people to read stuff, but at the end of the day, like, you know, people just want movies that are going to sell and that are going to be easy to put into a box and put like, you know, easy to market and easy to find an audience, you know, which I think is, I mean, a movie and an audience connecting is like kind of the most exciting thing. So I, I get it, but you know, it's still, it's still frustrating because the movies that I want to see are not necessarily the movies that everyone else wants to see. But Swallowed, so, I mean, it's like on the heels of like a movie like X, which was a very big deal for the horror world, right? Like this, the pitch, you know, you said you implied your, your elevator pitch was rusty, but it was not. It really felt like, oh, this feels like a very commercial, exciting, especially for the horror community film. Is this where you're in? Is it just like people are catching up to you? Or is it like you tapped into a subgenre that's working for you? Or what do you attribute that to? I mean, I think that like a big part of it, like, because like, like I said, like nobody would finance, nobody would come in and and do financing, you know, to make the movie. Yeah. So like, it's only after the movie was complete and, and there was something to show that I feel like people have started to respond better. But I think that the, like the main character is a gay guy. And I think that seeing queer representation in genre that is like not the point necessarily of the film. Like it's sort of a, you know, it's sort of a, that's just the world that this is, that this is happening within. Like it's not, what the film's all about, but but queer characters exist. People have really responded to that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's been great because that's, you know, as a little gay kid growing up loving horror movies, like and not seeing myself in any of those movies that I loved, like it, it was it was very much like the movie that I wish that I had had when I was like 16, you know? And of course I have Mark Patton in the movie also, who's like from Nightmare right. on Street 2, who's like an amazing like queer horror icon like you know and again i wrote the part for him like i followed him on instagram i did not know him i wrote it with him in mind and then i just sent him a dm on instagram i was like i'm 
I'm a filmmaker. I have a script. Can I send it to you? And he like totally did not even think I was for real. And then I sent him the script and he still didn't believe I was for real. And finally I was like, we're shooting, like we're starting in two months and you know, will you do this with me? And he finally was like, Oh, like this is a real movie. I was like, yes, this is a real movie. So that was kind of, that was kind of great to get to work with him as well. That's so funny. Liz and I had a conversation, I think off mic the other day about DMing actors and like, you can just DM them. Or maybe it was on the show. I can't remember. And she's like, that's not how it, you don't DM people. That's just, that's not how you do it on Twitter. Cause she's a big Twitter person. And I'm not, I don't know. I'm on Twitter, but you do DM people. I was right. I'm not a Twitter person though. I don't, I don't know if it works on Twitter. Yeah, no, I don't. That My point with Ulrich is that I don't, I don't DM on Instagram because I'm too old. I like I don't have the youthful vitality of a young person who would DM on Instagram. I think you do. I so would it DM was, on it was Instagram. So it was Instagram that you DM. Yeah, through. it's like it's uh, very hip to DM on Instagram. I don't do that. I'm not hip is what my see, original But Mark Patton and I are both not young. Like so like I don't like that's, no, that's but you like, have the <laughs> you have young soul. You're like you don't give a shit, you know, like I'm over. Well, I just figured funny. I have nothing to lose. Like, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? He doesn't answer, you know. So you can yeah. you can DM anybody on, on Instagram, you don't have to be their friend. Is that the deal? And I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't not everyone. No, Some people not close everyone. their DMs. Not everyone. I think oh, not everyone they close looks at their DMs. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, I have another question. I'm going to jump into another question, Ulrich. Because I know we didn't even talk about it, but you did allude to the fact that once the film was kind of in the can, so to speak, you started pitching it around and the companies that kind of gave you a a soft pass started to consider it again. I also know that you and I share a producer, Noah Lang. And I would just love to hear a little bit more about adding to your team after production, if you can take us through that process. Yeah. So yeah, Noah came on board early. And even though he wasn't on set when we were shooting, like he was very much like the, you know, overseer, you know, that actually had the experience, you know, with a lot of these places. Like he sent uh, the film to US in Progress, which is this program Mm -hmm. in, in Poland, which we got accepted to, where we got like, you know, our deliverables and VFX done for a hundred, like for furry. And it was just helpful to have someone to, to make those connections and to like, you know, just so it wasn't just me, filmmaker, me, like, you know, sending cold emails. Cause that's like not like outreach and like follow-up is not my strong suit really. And so he's been great, you know, through the whole entire process. Um, but like we, you know, we gave it to sales agents. We gave it to, I did most of the festival stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like set, sending it out for festivals, but like, like XYZ who sold the film is, you know, someone that I'd taken it to early on, you know, hoping that they would finance and they came on board after it was, after it was finished, but he had, he had relationships with other sales agents that we met with. And there was, there was like a good, you know, couple of people that were interested like after the film was finished, which was nice. So basically since you already had the relationship with XYZ and you'd already pitched it to them, like when the movie's done, it was just easy to send it back to them at that point. Or like, what was the process of getting them on as your sales rep? Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't really have a really, I mean, they had, they were sort of aware of the film, but it was like my agent who had sent them the script early on. Okay. And so it wasn't like I knew anyone there, but you know, we sent them the film and I think that Noah knew someone there and, and, you know, they were aware of it. At least they'd read the script or some, someone internally there had, you know, and it was not an immediate or easy, like, yes, you know, it was, it was still a process, but yeah, it was, it was, it's, it was sure nice to have someone else like 
making those calls and, and selling it. And, and, you know, so I'm not trying to do it myself. I mean, I was prepared to like, honestly, I was prepared to put the movie on iTunes, like up, you know, <laughs> by film hub myself, if I had to, like, that's, that's was kind of the mindset that I was in, you know, from the very beginning, I was like, okay, I'll just like, if not, I'll put it on YouTube or something like just, I was so ready to make a film and not have to wait for other people to like, give me permission to do it. That like, it was, it was just, I was going to go crazy if I didn't. Wow. Nice. And I spent uh, a lot of time listening to podcasts about indie filmmaking. And I was like, well, if like, if all of these other people are making films and figuring out how to do these mega budget films, like why the fuck can't I, like I've made films before. I know how to do it. Like what's stopping me from, you know, making a film in 15 days. Well, yeah, totally. I guess really the answer is nothing basically. <laughs> just do it and we did did we talk about this yet how did you raise the money for swallow did you just do it on your own or what was that solution i yeah it was it, i mean i it was it was i financed it myself through wow other jobs and like you know luckily it, it didn't all have to happen all at once so i had some time to to kind of like make it figure it out but you know that initial to actually get the shoot done i we were hoping that we were going to get financing up until the last minute and everyone was booked like all the actors were available i had locations i had the crew that i wanted and like you know then it became apparent we're not gonna get the money and i was like okay i even though everyone tells you don't ever pay for your own movie like i guess i'm gonna find out what that's like to do that wow <laughs> um, crazy yeah i mean it, you know it it i mean it's good and it's bad like i you know it, it 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 gave me freedom but it also is like incredibly kind of stressful yeah no kidding <laughs> how did you i mean like I guess I have a question, a bigger question about networking. Like what is, how do you network? How do you meet teammates? How do you figure out the right partners? Like, you know, producers, DP, whatever. But I think part of that also is like, what what type of networking do you think is worth your time? And are you precious about your time? And I only say this because like you and I were on Noam Kroll's indie filmmaking, I don't know, one of his master classes or whatever. And, and I know that you know a lot of people in the indie, indie film community, like you're, you are a prominent member of the indie film community. And it's like, how do you build up that profile? And like, how do you do that in an, in an efficient way? I don't know if I have a good answer. Like, I, I think that like, I don't ever like usually seek out networking stuff. Like I'm really bad at, at all of that. Like, you know, like I'm the one that will go to a film festival and like force myself to go to the closing night party and like stand in the corner alone like you know what i mean like and and, and, and force myself to talk to people yeah well you know what like, I, I i that's what I've, i had done you know forever and then one year at the overlook i didn't even have a film at the overlook i just was there as a as a horror fan i went to the party and i didn't know of one person and i just like i was like i'm gonna i picked one person who wasn't talking to anybody and i was like i'm gonna talk to him he's gonna be my like person that i talked to tonight and we ended up hitting it off and and spending the whole night hanging out and it was dan martin who's a special effects makeup artist who you know he did infinity pool and possessor and color out of space oh, and like crazy wow. amazing projects and he like made my special effect he did my little creatures for swallowed like and it all oh. came from me just like you know not standing alone in the corner at that party 
You picked a good person. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. But also I think that like, you know, because I have had, you know, the opportunity to like do the ruins and do, you know, do this stuff and like work with Blumhouse and do their like TV, you know, they're like into the dark and, and those things like, you know, I feel like I get just as much from your podcast or Noam's community as anyone else. Like, it, I don't, I don't think that there's any like, you know, I, I just try to sort of stay engaged and inspired in a way that's like keeps me going if that makes sense yeah speaking of that how did you get mixed up with blumhouse and you know part of their the the into the dark and all that stuff like can you tell us about that yeah i got i had never i've been trying to get a job in tv forever and like can't get a job in tv and then i got the i got a script for this movie midnight kiss on a friday my agent was like there's this script they need a director there's a problem with the director they had fell off read it over the weekend and you know if you like it they want to have a call on monday i read it i love i I really liked it and we had a call on monday wow so i was Oh my totally God. like a last minute replacement for the director that had fallen out. But like, you know, there was no locations. There was no cast. There was, you know, everything happened in that. Like, I think I had 11 days of prep. Wow. That's crazy. But it's a TV model. So it's like all of the department heads were in place. And yes, I mean, because they, they'd make these with like a, you know, the it's two crews that sort of piggyback back and forth between between films. So like oh, there's, wow. there's a full crew already existing with department heads that are just waiting for a director to get hired. Wow. And that went really well and so then i did i did another one for them for which is the same one that roxanne the series that roxanne had done which oh, cool. um, is for their epics slate i think but nice. it's, been, it's been kind of fun because it's like tv but without being tv but like they're standalone movies and you know it's it's kind of a nice it's better than you know hearing no all day every day you know <laughs> Yeah, it's actually fun to get to make stuff, you know? And are they a full length, like an hour and a half? Or are they an hour, 45 minutes? Yeah, no, they're feature, they're feature length. Wow. Midnight Kiss was like 90, and then the Passenger, the next one is like 92 minutes or something. So wow. they're, they're, they're sort of full standalone features. Wait, but Carter, you didn't brag about the festival pedigree of Swallowed yet, and I think you really <laughs> <No>. should. <laughs> yes. What, what do you want to hear? Like, what, what festival? Just I talk at? about what you've like, played. Yeah, I think... I mean, we, premiered, we premiered at Overlook, which is like... I. Like, I've been a fan of Overlook. I've been going for a couple of years and like just as a fan, because I love to go for a weekend and watch nothing but horror movies. So we premiered there. We played at uh, Fantastic Fest in Austin, which I'd never been to, which was super fun. Fantasia in Montreal. The um, best uh, genre film festivals in the world, basically. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. we didn't get into Sitges, which I really wanted to play at Sitges because that to me is... Yeah, but no one gets Fantastic Fest. Fantastic Fest is really hard to get into. Like my, my producers played Stitches and played Fantasia and played Sundance even and all these festivals and like he's never played Fantastic Fest so but then I also like we I did a ton of like I did like Popcorn Frights which was so oh, nice. much fun <laughs> and I did like the North Bend film fest, like a bunch of kind of fun smaller ones where you know you really are with the filmmakers and the festival hosts and like at, even though like Fantasia is great like you know it's a big festival and there's a lot going on whereas if you're at Popcorn Frights like you're with all the other filmmakers and the people that run the festival and you're sharing a car and you're like there's oh, something fun. really fun about that so I, I try to do like you know 
oh, New Fest also, which was super fun because that was the first queer festival that we played. Oh. And oh, wow. it was mo- all genre festivals. And then it was fun to get it in front of like a, it was actually one of the best screenings, like to get it in front of a queer audience that like wasn't just a horror audience that was going to like put up with the gay stuff. It was like people that were like <laughs> down for the gay stuff. They were like, oh, they were going to put up with the horror, you know? And we won best, uh, we won best, uh, best feature at New Fest, which was super fun. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It was a fun festival. And festival, it's like a exhausting like tour thing though. If you're really doing festivals and like, I mean, I'm not going to complain, but. <laughs> so now that you've done these two Blumhouse TV film projects, it's like, you must be doing pretty good. Cause like you've done, you've got three movies that basically in the last couple of years, you know, and are, are you feel, do you feel primed for your next project or do you feel like it's going to be a struggle for the next one. I I mean, you know, last year was like The Passenger and Swallowed. So it was like two movies in one year. Basically, it was like incredible. It was a dream come true. I think that now that I know how to make these movies, make now that I did Swallowed, because like I was the AD on Swallowed, I scheduled it. I did, you know, I did everything. So now that I know how to make a movie like that with the crew of eight people, like I think I'm just going to always have one of those in the works. Like always nice. be thinking about, okay, like what movie can I write that takes place like in Maine where I have a house, like a guest house where people can stay and like, you know, like what, what can sort of the parallel track be to like whatever is or isn't happening in Hollywood land? you know Hollywood land what are the eight <laughs> positions nice. you gotta share what the eight the eight people yes. are in your crew it was it was me my boyfriend who had never been on a film step before but he was executive <laughs> producer on this one I had, a, I had a DP I had a he was AC gaffer grip electric and B cam wow I had oh a my sound God. a sound recorder a sound guy and then my editor came who is an editor that I've worked with a, a bunch of times and also he's a sound designer and so he came and did script supervising, which is like having an editor slash script supervisor is amazing. Awesome. There was there, we had another producer there. That's seven, and that, that was seven, I guess. And we had, two, sound. we had two interns. He mentioned sound recorders, but I want to give Ulrich a hard time in that Carter had eight people, and one of those people was a script supervisor, Ulrich. Wow. So, but he was also the Ulrich, editor and yeah. the sound designer. He was, you know, so he was also yes. like, but he was cut. on set. Yes. Yeah. But you know, it's nice to have an editor around because, like, you could be cutting dailies the next day and stuff. And well, you but know. he wasn't doing any of that. All, yeah, oh was, no, okay, no. I mean, because I mean, we didn't <laughs> was, we didn't have internet or electricity or oh. like or flushing. <laughs> wow, the like we were. Oh my god, we were shooting in the remote northern. There was no oh kind my of cutting up. Yeah, like, he could say like, ah, you might want to get it from this angle. You might want to get something over yeah. here. You know, just wow. as a you know, as like a little you know something that he knew that we might need later. Wow. Yeah, I made a movie that we did. We had eleven, so it was so it's like, similar. Yeah, yeah, it was like producer, and then like a line producer. It was like me, me as an AD producer, like a line producer, a PA, and then we had like a gaffer and a key grip. Then we had a makeup artist who was also half of the the uh, art department, and then we had a wardrobe person who was the other half of the art department. <laughs> and then we oh, had I, I, I had I had one more person who did who did clothes, hair and makeup, and stunt doubling for Mark. Patton. They I, I, and I, stunt doubling, <laughs> yeah, and he, stunt like, doubling. Yeah, he was oh like he was he was Mark Patton's stunt double. Yes, it was amazing. Oh my god! Yeah. And then who, what else we had? We had and then we had camera um, assistant camera. 
and then director. And I think that was it. That was everybody. That's a pretty robust um, crew. Yeah, eleven. <laughs> I know. And I and I just oh, made God, my first guys. feature with a like a, tw- a twenty five person crew or twenty you know thirty person crew, and I felt like. Like, you know, it was kind of refreshing to have a small crew in some ways, but then there was other things that we couldn't do the same that we did on my movies. It just felt like it's just a completely different process. Yeah, just completely different. It's like apples to bananas. Like, it's not the same at all. Like, you you don't have, but with with a small crew, like you don't, there's, you know, the biggest expense on a movie like Swallowed is like feeding people and putting people up. And when you, there's only eight of you, like it becomes a whole lot cheaper, you know, all of it. How did, how did you guys manage food? That's always the hardest part, especially in a remote location. Like food is like really challenging. So like, what was your solution? <laughs> like as the movie was not coming together and I was not getting financing, I felt so like, like I did just didn't have control over anything. So I hooked and made slow cooker meals and froze them. And I did oh. it for like a week straight. Like I just, in my kitchen, wow. like it's like sort of, this is going to come together. This is going to come. And I just, and I made meals that I froze and <laughs> they could be reheated in the slow cooker. Wow. And then, and then everyone just gets a bowl basically, yeah. you know? Yeah. It was like, we you- had, you know, my boyfriend made rice every day and then we would have like, there was some sort of chicken thing. And then, I mean, we also had like, there was a local cafe that would, that brought us like lunch and breakfast wow. stuff. But like dinner was like, I, it was all stuff that I had made. I mean, we got a little old after 15, after, you know, <laughs> after that many days. Yeah. Maybe. But that's, that's kind of genius though. Like to, to pre-cook a bunch of stuff that's frozen and then reheat it. Yeah. Brilliant, and man. it's like kind of tastes home because I knew that I wanted to try to be a little healthy and I knew that other people would appreciate having something kind of home cooked and healthy. And it was the only thing I could control. I felt like I was like, okay, well, at least I yeah. can, at least I can cater to this movie. Like I can't get it financed, but I can cater it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I don't know. We should I think we have to last move on. six yeah. questions. Last six. All right. Carter, you already talked a little bit about your first film, but what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Yeah, so it was, I mean, Bug Crush, I love it. It opened up the entire world of film to me. And it, it kind of, it made me realize that, you know, filmmaking was what I wanted to do, you know, and, and, and that t- like telling the stories that I wanted to tell, like there might be other people that were interested in in seeing those those stories on the screen in a way mm-hmm. that I had no, you know, that I I had no idea until talking to people after you know after they'd seen it. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Okay, so because I'm a listener, I've thought of this. I've heard this question many times, and I've <laughs> thought of it. And Ira Sachs told me at one time that like he was like always know exactly how your current film is going to or you want it to lead to your next. Next film, which I, you know, he told me that I think at Sundance when I was there with Jamie Marks's dead, and I had absolutely not done that. And like, and it was like a hit at a very specific moment. Where I was like, oh yeah, that's really smart. <laughs> that's the first thing that I thought of when that when I think of that question. Nice. Well, then you might have the pre-planned answer for this question. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received or heard or witnessed? That's easy. Like, well, let's we'll just cast it and then we'll get it financed because of the casting. <laughs> like, if I like that, like thinking that like somehow the cast is going to somehow translate to foreign sales and getting a movie finance just like in my experience has not proven true ever it's like that's like one part of it and then there's a whole other part about like knowing the distributor having the connection being able to sell it it's like it's just so many other steps besides that little thing and people always say that like oh yeah 
just cast this person and then the money will just flow from nowhere. It's like, that does not how you got to have the flow, you know? And you also spend years trying to get it to the people that will make that difference. And half the time, oh my you, God. like, you know, you can't even get an answer from them. So like, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been super frustrated uh, with that model. Yeah, totally. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I just want to make movies. Like that's my goal is just to keep making movies. I would love to be able to do one a year or at least one ever, you know, or two every three years maybe like would be a more realistic pace <laughs> um, but like that's that would just that would be perfect if you could go back in time what's the piece of advice you'd give yourself don't wait for permission from other people to make your movies like don't you know it's you could spend years and years and a whole life waiting for someone to say that your movie is worthy of being made and that's just not true i came to the email game and the audience building game so incredibly late and if i had actively started to build an audience back when I made Bug Crush, like, mm-hmm. I think that I would probably be a lot happier. Like, I'm, I'm playing catch up now. And I, and I think that, like, the engagement that I get from the people that I do have on my list that I do, like, stay in touch with is amazing. And if I had started that earlier, I can only imagine, like, how much easier it would be to, like, spread the word about, you know, whatever it is I want to spread the word about. So I would have started an email list a lot sooner, which is, like, a really boring <laughs> answer. No, I love love that it's also so it's practical because i'm like Liz's such a favorite answer yeah yeah it's my favorite answer in life that has been given on this show i'm so pro email list i totally get it last question is making movies hard? I mean, when the camera is rolling and the actors are like on set and doing their thing and like the magic is happening, it's like feels like the easiest, most exciting thing in the world. But like everything leading up to it and everything after <laughs> the camera cuts is absolutely hard. But like the actual <laughs> making the movie, like actually sh- the shooting of it and the what happens on set with that magic kind of mix of energy and, and point of view, like that's not hard at all all that's 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 the easy part amazing all right so where should people go if they want to follow you and they want to see swallowed how can people see this movie okay swallowed is i don't know what the right way to say it is it's like wherever you buy or rent movies on vod on demand like you know so it's like on the all of the platforms where you like rent or buy movies you know so the amazons and itunes and all those places nice and if people want to follow me they can go to i have a website called all the dead boys.com which is like i know is my like username when i like sent you guys a question or something at some point Oh, yeah, it was so great. We loved it. All the dead boys. I remember that. Yeah. So I have a, I have a website and if people go there, they can sign up and I have newly committed to sending out a, like a Friday newsletter. Liz, what do you remember about our chalk with Carter Smith? I loved it so much. I love Carter. I really do. I like, I just, he's one of these filmmakers I really look up to. And you know, Arik, I didn't even tell you this. After we talked, I was so inspired by the conversation that I watched Swallowed. I watched it. Oh, wow. I watched a film from one of our guests from a link that they sent us. This is very shocking. And I loved it. And I went to Carter and I told him all the things I loved about it. So I think everyone has to see Swallowed. It's really wonderful. Only good memories. I just think he's like the perfect guest for the show because what's so interesting is that he found success from the establishment. And while I think that will continue, he also celebrates making small, intimate art, which is what I really want to advocate for in my life, right? So I just love that he could be an inspiration, an aspirational guest 
for many, but also just like reinforce why we do what we do. And what what do you remember? Yeah, that he's just a lovely person and just really open and sweet. I loved hearing about the whole the ruins situation that came about. Like his basically, you know, living the dream of like breaking right into Hollywood at like kind of the highest level to make, you know, his first feature film after having a really successful short. It's like the thing that everyone thinks will happen to them that I used to think would happen to me, that everyone thought would happen when they make their their first short film. It's like actually happened to him and he yeah. had such an incredible success with it. But then it's like what happened afterwards is like the shocking thing that it's like, oh, well, you don't just get to make movie after movie <laughs> after you made The Ruins? Yeah. Like, no, not necessarily. But I loved hearing his Steven Spielberg pitch story. I, I already mentioned it, but it was so wonderful. So interesting to hear that whole thing and how it broke down and that he had to go through that to like as part of the, you know, winning the job, basically. And, and, and then, yeah, just like, you know, how much he loves what he's doing and like that he's figured out how to make a movie for such a low budget and that, you know, he's embracing it. Cause I feel like I've talked to other filmmakers who like have made million dollar movies or half a million dollar movies even. And they're like, no, I will never make a movie for less than, you know, half a million or a million or whatever. And it's like, this guy <laughs> made a movie that was like many millions of dollars, but budget, like, you know, 10 million or whatever it was. And then now he's making like, yeah, a hundred thousand dollar ish ish movie, something around there. You know, if I did the math of uh, <laughs> what he told us in, in the, in the podcast, right. So yeah, I, I think it, it is really, around that. Yeah. It was really beautiful conversation and I hope everyone got as much out of it as I did. Cause it was, it was great. Well, it is time for, the game. So the game, as a quick reminder for everyone, is a indie film problem quagmire quandary that our producer Eric Toms sends one of us to ask the other. And this one is very large departure from the form. So Eric, prepare yourself because it's really open-ended and a lot more philosophical than Eric really normally treads. Okay. Different, different territory than he normally treads. Okay. What Eric wants to know is when do you leave a project and do you have various parameters in different situations? Meaning, when do you leave a project that is a good friends, is a paying job, is a prestige job, or a passion project? But I would say just in general, what are your, I mean, he, he's not saying this, but because I'm just kind of bringing the question full circle here. I think the question is good enough itself. When do you know it's time to leave a project? Wait, so, but what, just any project or just? Any project. He's just like, this is how open-ended this is. He's not even giving you a specific quandary or quagmire. He's just saying, when do you leave? Huh. Wow. Yeah. It's the triple whammy. When you leave your own project, is it your own project or is it like just a project you've been hired onto or is is it could it be anything? I mean, he wants you to answer for all of them, but I would say I would think back on projects that you've decided to leave and think about what was the breaking point for you Mm. and and think the presumption is that that breaking point would carry over to any kind of scenario that you're in. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I left one project recently because I was, it was just too much work, you know, like I was kind of supposed to be helping out on the side. And then, you know, it was like this thing where I was basically being asked to work as much as my, my, my day job. And I'm just like, I can't, can't do it. I was like stressing me out. I had a panic attack. I was just like this. I have to stop this. I don't think that's really what he wants. Though I think what he wants is like when you're making a movie, if you're like the director or it's your project that you're trying to make, 
Like, when do you decide to, like, stop making that movie or, like, move on from that movie to something else or, or whatever? Yeah. So I think I'll try to answer that. Like, I think the only time I've, like, really left projects before is, like, when it's been something I've been trying to make and then I'm deciding that it's not the right movie to make and then trying to make something else, you know? But, like, I guess if, if I was attached to a movie and... Well, that's actually not true. Like, there was another movie where I was attached to write it and they were not going to pay me, but they were like, yeah, we want you to write this movie and we'll make it and we can raise X amount of dollars and blah, blah, blah. And then basically, like, it became clear that the person who wanted to make this movie could not raise the money that they were claiming they could, you know? And it was like, mm. they did not have the access to the funds that they said they would. Cause they were like, Oh yeah, make the, like, I know how we can raise the money. You just did the script. Like you could just write it, you know? And then like, you know, obviously no for no money. And then like, once the script's done, we can send it to this person, that person. And then we'll raise the money. We can get at least like X million dollars to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then basically Jeff and I were like, you know, interacting with this person and then realized basically like, Oh yeah, like the money person who he thought he had doesn't exist anymore even though he's like still pushing it forward and like making these promises it's just like no it's not gonna happen so it's like then that was like a time where we like sort of like gently backed away so i think for me it's like when you when you can see that like what is being promised or what is being said is true is not true and that like things aren't what Mm -hmm. you think they are necessarily then it's like maybe that's a time to reconsider or if you aren't in love with it anymore and it doesn't bring you joy like if what you're working on isn't making you happy then you should walk away i think it's pretty simple you know it's like like either the the thing that you agree to do one or more of the reasons why you sign on to the project either changed or don't exist the way that you were told exists or no matter what, you just are not passionate about it anymore. Because I feel like the passion yeah. to make a movie is like the thing that makes the movie happen. And if you don't have it, like you can, you can only trick yourself so much until you just realize that you don't love it and it's not going to work. But yeah, Liz, what about you? What are some of the reasons why you would leave a project? Well, I have the exact same answer as I wrote more stress than joy. And if I'm the bottleneck, like if I'm working mm. with a writer And I know that writers get screwed over and I know that they deserve like real advocates in this industry. And if I'm not able to put their project first or near the top and I become the bottleneck for them, like then I want to leave because I and I did this recently with a project. I I won't say this project because I'm back on it. But I said to her, I said, like, I'm the bottleneck. I'm 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 slowing this project down. You should seek out other options. And she did. And then she came back and she's like, actually, I like working with you. And I understand that you don't have a lot of time, but I'll take whatever time you have. And that made Mm. me feel like, okay, I could proceed with you, right? Like as long as the pressure is not there and we're not on different pages of like her thinking that I'm on a daily basis pounding the pavements for that film, but then I'm going to eke out every opportunity I can when I can. And I would say, just like you said, like if the reason why you're doing this project is taken away or changes, like, you know, for lady parts, like my my creative contribution was taken away. So I mm. I was like, oh, okay, well then you, well, you don't need me. <laughs> like, well, then I'm going to leave. And I've had other projects where if no one else is driving it forward and they're just leaving it on me to drive it forward, 
and it's not my script and the writers out of the out of the conversation too that's really tough right it's like if you're the only one and you're not the originator and you like the script but it's not your top priority like I've kind of put those on the back burner as well. So yeah, it's about respect and it's about prioritizing the right things in your life. I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, totally. All right, Liz, it's time for our new segment. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get to our I don't, iTunes review. We don't have time. I don't think we have time either, for the new segment. Either. All right, we're cutting it. Here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to skip the segment yeah. and apologize to Eric and everyone else, which is the listeners. But I think we can write, read this iTunes review really quick. So I'll just do it really fast and then we'll, we'll get out of this episode. So we have a brand new iTunes review. Hooray. This is titled, I love this podcast. I listen to y'all on the way to work on my scooter. Don't worry. I'm safe. I've learned so much and you guys inspire me. <laughs> and that's it from Aww. Raisin from the United States. Thank you so much. Raisin. Thank you, Raisin. Raisin. Yeah. Five star review, by the way. So yeah, that means a lot. Thank you. I do hope you are indeed safe on your scooter. But yeah, if you're listening to this right now, uh, slow down maybe a little bit. Just slow, just a little. little Speed up. Live life in the fast lane. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) All of you can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to make to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes like Raisin did. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. We'd love to support the International Screenwriters Association, which is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list. Go to networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Well, we want to thank Carter Smith for coming on the show, our editor Jeff Rymoot for doing the editing, and our producer Eric Toms for being awesome. But thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. Yeah, 100%. And also, you have a, a monkey in the background of your... I know. Yeah. She is <laughs> going crazy right now. Um, <laughs> you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.